Matthew chapter 7, we're looking at verses 21 through 23 this morning. Now, we're getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're getting now to the end of chapter 7. And in January, we started in Matthew chapter 5, we started the Sermon on the Mount, and it wasn't my intention that we would be concluding this here in October towards the end of the year. That's just the way it it turned out, but as it turns out, that's exactly what we needed uh, this year, to spend this this year, 2023, on Jesus teaching what it looks like to live as a part of his kingdom. And I know for myself personally, and I believe and trust it's the same for you as well, that, that your walk with the Lord has been strengthened, has been deepened as we've looked at week after week about what Jesus teaches on how we live and follow him. We've looked at the character of a follower of Christ and what that should entail. That's called the Beatitudes. We looked at our witness to the world, salt and light. We looked at regulating our emotions towards one another. We looked at loving our enemies, giving and prayer and even judging others. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the golden rule. And as we move now to the end of of this sermon, Jesus is moving us to a crescendo, if you will. He's bringing his sermon to a dramatic climax. And in our passage today, it's in the midst of this climax to this sermon. And this conclusion to the sermon really began in verse 13 that we looked at a few weeks ago. And so again, this morning, we're going to focus in on three verses, 21, 22, and 23. But I want to read this whole conclusion as it really brings to bear the weight of the words that Jesus is saying. If we only look at the three verses in isolation, I fear we'll miss the greater picture. So we're going to read this morning verses 13 through 27, and then we'll come back and focus in on our passage this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 30. Verse 13, Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers 
of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, as you, when you uttered these words, you, you were bringing this sermon to a, a dramatic close. Lord, that you would pl- press these truths within our, our hearts, so that you would even bring to our memory, Lord, the other passages that we've looked at and as you've taught us how to live and how to obey you and how to walk in fellowship with you as we examine here the words that you spoke, Lord, that you would speak to us today. Lord, that you would help me to communicate your word to your people today, that it might be beneficial, that we might live not for ourselves, not to make a name Uh, Not to make our names great, but to live for you and to make your name great in the world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus begins here, back to verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, he says, on that day. On that day. On what day? What day is Jesus talking about here? The last day, the judgment day. The Bible says that we will all on the last day of of history stand before God, that there is a day of judgment coming. And when we stand before God, we will not stand before him with our families. We will not stand before him with our church. We will not stand before God as a part of our community or as a part of a nation. We will stand before God alone on that day. There's a day of judgment coming where God will judge the world. Paul preached this message of the, in the coming judgment. He preached this message in Acts chapter 17. He said that God had appointed to judge the world by Jesus Christ and that he proved that that day of judgment was coming where we would all be raised Everyone's going to be raised, both the, 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 the Christian and the non-Christian, both the sinner and the saint alike, all will be raised on that last day, and all will stand before Christ on that last day, and some will be raised to life eternal, and some will be raised to judgment eternal, but on that last day, it is a day of judgment. That day is coming. And Jesus is talking about here what will happen on that last day. I have three points for you this morning about that last day that Jesus gives us here. A warning. uh, a, a, A caution that he lays before us. Now, for, for myself personally, I, I, think, I, I think I can honestly say that this 
passage is the most terrifying passage in the whole Bible. It's terrifying. And Jesus intends it to be terrifying. He, he gives it to us because, guess what? He loves us. And he doesn't want any of us to be surprised on that last day. And so he uttered these words. He ensured that they would be immortalized on the pages of Scripture. And, and he loves you enough that he brought you here this morning to hear these words preached to you today. Amen. He's warning us because he loves us. Just like the father will, will warn his children not to run out into the street or not to stick the car keys into the electrical socket. There's a, there's a warning there. Many times I have startled my children by warning them of danger. I have shouted out, stop, wait, hey, to which they turn around and start crying. You, you scared me. Yeah, but I saved your life. So, so I'm, I'm willing with my children that I love to, to hurt their feelings, to, to wound their emotions, to, to startle them for a moment, to save their lives. And that's what Christ is doing for us here. Now, I would have loved for you to come this morning and just heard this really nice feel-good message and leave all warm and fuzzy. This isn't one of those Sundays. You might be saying, we never have those Sundays at this church. <laughs> and that might be true as well. This morning will be a little fuzzier, a little warmer. This evening, I mean, this evening, uh, tonight. If you come tonight, I'll make sure I put a warm fuzzy on it tonight. <laughs> Send you home in a nice blanket, okay? That's not the passage that we have for us today. The first thing that we need to see that Jesus says about that last day is that lip service is inadequate. Paying lip service to Christ is inadequate. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about here? He's, this Lord, Lord, this is a verbal profession of faith. A verbal profession of, of faith. And, and aren't there many today who would profess faith in Christ? Aren't there many today who would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe he's the son of God. Yes, I believe I have trusted in him for salvation. It's not hard to find in our historically Christian culture, people who would profess faith in Christ. Yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, how are you a Christian? Well, I was baptized as a baby and I, I went through confirmation. I am a Christian. My, my grandparents were Christians and my great-grandparents were Christians. Therefore, yes, I was born into a Christian family and I have professed faith in Christ. I believe that he is the Son of God. Jesus sums all of that up in the phrase, Lord, Lord. And this profession, uh, some things about it is it's polite. 
It's, it recognizes, okay, Jesus is Lord, or, all right, that's a, a polite thing, it's a respectful thing, showing honor to Jesus. You could say it's courteous, it's kind, it's affectionate. It's definitely orthodox. Jesus is Lord, it's a, it's a proper Christian confession, amen? It's the correct doctrine, you could say it's fervent, it's reverent, showing even devotion in words. And you might say, well, what's the problem with all that? And the problem is nothing. There's nothing wrong with calling Jesus Lord. The problem is not with the words. The problem is with the action. The problem is that there is only words. And that there is no action. So lip service is inadequate. Number two, it leads to our second point, which is that obedience is required. Not everyone who says, that's lips, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, that's action, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, lip service is inadequate. Obedience is required. Obedience is required. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, quoting, uh, or Luke's interpretation, Luke's rendering of this passage. Luke puts it this way. He said, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Lip service is inadequate. Obedience is required. You see, a, a Christian profession, though it may be correct, though it may be true, though it may even be orthodox in doctrine, profession alone by itself is meaningless if it is not accompanied with faithful obedience to Christ and his word. Profession alone, if it is not accompanied by true good works, by true faithful obedience to Christ, is meaningless. It's not just here that we see this. It's not just in Luke chapter 6. Jesus in John 14, in the upper room, is as he's headed to the cross on the last night of his life, he teaches his disciples these words, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I've said this many times. I'm sure you've said it too to your children. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you, if you love me, you'll obey your, your, what your parents teach you. You'll, you'll, you'll obey your mother if you love her. And Jesus, the same way, says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you might be saying, well, that's just one verse. You can't build a whole doctrine off of one isolated passage. But it's not just one verse. 
this idea is one of the most repeated themes in the Gospel of John. Look here, just a, a few more. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, By this we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How can we be sure that we know him and how can we be sure that he knows us? Isn't that what Jesus will tell them on the last day? Depart from me, I never knew you. John says that we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 2 John 1, verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the very commandment you have heard from the beginning, that you must walk in love. This is not just some isolated theme tucked away in some obscure book that I'm extrapolating out into some huge doctrine. No, this is a consistent, repeated refrain. This is a test for us. You know, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Jesus here lays out a test for us ahead of time. When I was in school, they used to test us before the test to help us know if we were ready to take the real test. This passage is here for us. It serves for us like that pre-test before we stand before God. If you love Christ, you will obey him. This is the way it is. You see... It must be faith accompanied with obedience. And true saving faith, true saving faith is always accompanied with obedience to Christ. There is no middle ground here. Why? Because if you believe the claims of Christ you will respond in obedience to his word. How can I say that Jesus is Lord, but I don't obey his word? How can I say that Jesus is the son of God, but I don't obey his word? How can I say that Jesus is God in the flesh, but I don't do what he taught? The disconnect here shows the truth of the reality. If I don't obey his word, I don't believe who he said he was. 
There's no middle ground here. There's no mushy middle. If you say you believe the claims of Christ, yet you do not submit to his word, you prove that you do not believe his words. Now there's an interesting tension in the Christian faith, and I want to acknowledge it here this morning. Some of you may be feeling it right now. We know as Christians that we are not saved by our good works. Amen? Our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Before God, before a holy God, our good works, our great deeds are as filthy rags to a holy God. And we see that here in this passage where Jesus, they say, Lord, Lord, Jesus says, depart from me. You're not entering into my kingdom. And, and what, what do people respond with? Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. Jesus says, if you're hoping in those things to get you into my kingdom, that's all filthy rags in my book. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We are not saved by our good works. We are not saved by our obedience to Christ and his word. We are saved by grace and we receive that grace, unmerited favor, by what? By faith. Not by works, by faith. By works of the law will no one be justified. But if I have true saving faith, what does that produce in my life? It produces obedience to Christ. It produces those good works. So I'm not saved by my good works. I'm not saved by my own righteousness. I lean completely, totally on the work of Christ. The work he accomplished for me upon the cross. That is what I cling to. And those who cling to that work will find themselves being obedient to the word of God. Those who rightly recognize their sin before a righteous and holy God, which we must do if we're going to cling to the cross of Christ. Why, why do I need the blood if, if I'm not a sinner? Why do I need his shed blood if I don't recognize my sinful state before a holy God? So those who are poor in spirit, those who, who recognize their great spiritual need, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who, who see themselves before God who is holy, there's nothing that I can do to, to justify myself. There's nothing that I can do to make myself Righteous, it's, it's to the cross that I cling. It's to the work of Christ that I cling. And how can I, on the one hand, cling to the cross of Christ because of my sin, and yet, in the other hand, hold on to my sin? No, I must let go of my sin to embrace Christ. I must let go of my lifestyle of sin and death and shame. I must repent. That's a 180. I must turn from it to embrace Christ. But there are many 
Notice here the word, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. There are many who say, Lord, Lord, but have not let go of their sin. There are many who embrace sin while still saying, Lord, Lord. What could be more offensive to Christ than that? What could be more offensive to Christ than the one who would patronize him by saying, you are my Lord, but I embrace my sin. It is, it is incongruent. And the day of judgment will reveal that. And here in his word, it is a, it is a moment that, that it might reveal it in your own life. We are not saved by our good works, but if we are saved, we will have good works. If we do not have good works, we show that we are not saved. This is what James says in James chapter 2, if you want to flip over there with me to the book of James. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 14 He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, that is faith in Christ, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's, that's uh, quoting here from, from Deuteronomy, the Shema, the, the, the great uh, saying that the, the Jews would say every day that God is one. And so he says, you believe that God is one. You have orthodox doctrine. He says, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So that kind of faith the demons have that kind of faith. The, the demons know that God is one. The demons have orthodox doctrine. But what do they lack? They don't submit to God. Yeah, they believe God is one. The demons believe in God. They know that God exists. They know that God is real. They know Jesus is the Son of God. But they don't submit to his lordship. There are many today who have this kind of demonic, quote-unquote, faith. They say that they believe in God, yet they don't submit to his lordship. 
We know this passage a few verses earlier in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Listen, if you think that you're doing yourself any good by coming to church week in and week out and hearing the word, yet you walk out these doors and you never obey it, you never put it into practice, you never live it out. Hear me, you are deceived. You are deceived. No, it is, it is the one who hears the word and does the word. Who hears the word and, and does the word. This is the issue of what Jesus is, is saying here. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, that is a profession, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Lip service is inadequate. Obedience to the will of God, to the will of the Father, to the word of God, that is what is required. Listen, if, if you do not submit to the Lordship of Christ, though you may have a, a profession of faith, you're not living a part of the kingdom of God today. It is those who submit to his lordship. It is, it is those who make the profession that Christ is king and who obey their king who live as part of the kingdom of God. And if you don't want to live as part of the kingdom of God today, right now, you're not going to be granted access to the kingdom of God on the last day. If you don't want to live as a part of the kingdom of God now, there's not going to be an open door for you into the kingdom then. It is only those who have had a genuine saving faith and that faith that produces works that, that live out and obey the word of God not just on Sunday, but daily seek to seek first the kingdom, to apply the word of God to every area of thought and life. It is those who will be granted access to the kingdom on that last day. And it is obedience to Christ and his word that proves that we are his disciples. It is not miraculous manifestations it is not prophecy and those who can cast out demons and who do many mighty works. That's not what proves that you're a disciple of Christ. Didn't Pastor Mark preach about that last week? False prophets in sheep's clothing that are ravenous wolves. The Bible tells us that in the last days there'll be many who can produce signs and wonders in the power of the demons. That there are those who believe they are working for Christ. They are self-deceived. They even think that they're doing the will of God. But they have not submitted to his lordship. False prophets. False teachers. What is the sign of true saving faith? It is obedience to the word of God. So number one, lip service is inadequate. Number two, obedience is required. And number three, 
Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on the last day, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare. So, so their profession is Lord, Lord, but here now Christ makes a declaration. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. Jesus is the judge. The, the end of human history has us standing before Jesus. And Paul says that on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Jesus is the judge that is standing there at the end of human history. Many people like to paint this picture of Jesus that he's just this freewheeling, pot-smoking hippie. He's just cool with everything. Slap love on it and he's cool with it because God is love. So whatever we want to define as love, God's cool with it. I'm cool with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Me and Jesus are tight. Okay. Do you obey his word? Do you obey his word? Because if you don't obey his word, you don't love him. If you don't obey his word, you don't know him. Listen, if you know Christ, if you know him, you will obey his word. If you know the one who spoke the worlds into existence, if, if you know the one by whom all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, if you know the one to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, if you know the one who left heaven's throne, who humbled himself to go to Calvary's cross and die for you, if you know the one who shed his blood to redeem you, if you know Christ, you will obey his word. It is those who know him who love him. It is those who love him who obey him. He is the judge. He is the one standing at the end of human history. You see, you can fool all of us. You can fool us. You can fool us by your profession. You can fool us by an outward demonstration of righteousness or holiness. Yeah, you might not smoke. You might not chew. You might not, uh, whatever the rest of that rhyme goes, I don't know. You, you, you might, you know, not, you know, do, do all these outward manifestations of, you know, sinful activity. But in your heart of hearts, 
Do you love Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you seek to obey Christ? If you truly understand who he is and what he has done for you, the other side of that equation is obedience. There's no way out of it. It doesn't mean perfect obedience. First John opens by saying, I'm writing to you that you wouldn't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So it's not that we will have sinless perfection. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the aim of your life. I'm saying what you are shooting for, what you are living for, what you are going for. Is it faithful obedience to Christ and his word in every area of your life? Or is it not? You see, you can fool us. You can put on a nice display. You can come into the church. You can bring your Bible. You can sing the songs. You can, you can put on a front. You can fool us. And hear this. You can even fool yourself. That's the terrifying part of this passage. You can even fool yourself. Many have used the ministry. Their works for God as a way of hiding their disobedience to Christ. Their their outward expression, look what I'm doing for Jesus, look how I'm serving him. And so they do public displays of service for Christ, yet their private life is full of disobedience. Self-deceived. You can deceive us, you can deceive yourself, but there is one that you cannot fool. And that is the one that we will stand before on that day. And it says, here's the terrifying part, if it's not terrifying enough. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me. This is not some small, insignificant, microscopic group of people. There are many who are in this self-deceived state. And to those who do not love Christ, those who have used Christ for themselves in this life, they used Christ to get what they wanted, he will say to them on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. This is his profession over them. Now, I don't know about you, but those aren't the words I want to hear on that day. I'm, I'm hoping to hear a different phrase. I'm hoping to hear, well done. Not depart from me. But Jesus here, he gives us this test. Do you desire to do his will? Do you desire to obey the one who died and shed his blood for you? When you examine your life, when you examine your heart, when you examine yourself, do you find yourself obeying Christ, submitting to his word, desiring to know his word, to study his word, that you might serve him and obey him? Or is Christ just your ticket to heaven? 
If you're holding on to Christ as simply your ticket to heaven, I'm here to tell you today that ticket is a forgery. It is a forgery produced by Satan himself to fool you until that day. Jesus here shows us this is what we can put our confidence in. Do we have a desire to love him, to serve him, to obey him? Not just saying, Lord, Lord, but submitting our lives to his lordship. If all you have is words and no action, you are in a dangerous place this morning. Now, if you are not walking in obedience to Christ, I am not calling on you to obey and to do good works that you might be saved because we cannot earn our salvation. What I am calling on you to do is to repent, to repent of your sin, to turn from sin and turn it to Christ in true faith, in genuine repentance, to, to see truly the depths of your sin and to see truly the depths of his love for you and the price that he paid and to let loose of your sin that you might embrace Christ. I'm not calling on you to earn your salvation through your good works. I'm only laying that before you as the test. If you have failed the test this morning, the, the word to you is not do more. The word to you is repent and trust in Christ. Truly, truly. Don't let it just be a, a lip service to him. But let it be true. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. The only thing that can produce good works in your life is true and saving faith in Christ. And for those of us here today who feel as though we have passed the test, that we do know Christ and we do love Christ, let me encourage you, let me admonish you to press in to obedience to Christ. Lean in, endeavor to serve him and to obey him and to apply his word. Is there any area, is there any place in your life where you are, are not submitted to the lordship of Christ? Is there any area in your life that you know, I have not been obeying God's word here? Brothers and sisters, let us lay that at the altar today that we might walk in faithful obedience, that we might do the will of our Father who is in heaven, that we might bring him glory through our lives. We ask that question every Sunday as we take the Lord's Supper. We say, is there any area of your life where you find yourself living in disobedience to Christ and to his word? Let us lay that at the altar today. Let us lay it here and not pick it back up. The Bible says that our sins were nailed to the tree when Christ was nailed to the tree. Let us not go and take them off of the tree, but let them remain there dead so that we might walk in the resurrection power of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we...
prepare to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a way that we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember Christ. We remember the price he paid for our sin. We remember that we are loved by God. Even while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive in Christ. Before we ever did one good thing towards him, he died and shed his blood. For us. And so this is a time where we repent. This is a time where we reflect. This is a time where we acknowledge our great need, our spiritual need. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We do not come to the table full of pride. We come to the table full of humility, recognizing the great price that was paid, recognizing the great need that we had before a righteous and holy God and that that need has been met fully, completely, finally. It is finished by Jesus Christ.